Hey Max, welcome to Dive In Podcast. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, doing well. So it's, uh, it's weird to, to sit so intently across from each other. I, know, like I said right? so. Max wants to arm wrestle. I'm not keen. I don't like arm wrestling. That all shots. But we, <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do that. There's a whisk, bottle of whiskey in the corner. Yep. So uh, every time you tell a lie, we'll get the whiskey out for a shot. So this podcast gets real interesting, real fast. Yeah. <laughs> so Max, how you doing today, bud? Man, I'm doing really well. How is Little Gaz. Little Gaz, man. He turned 10 weeks today. He's uh, he's firing on all cylinders, but he's figured out how to arch his back and push his legs out so he's almost trying to roll. So he turns into this like reverse banana and that's been like, well, hang on a second, that's a new Re- move reverse now. Banana. What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> uh, it, it just keeps going, man. And you get real excited about the progressions, but it's instant regret as soon as they can move. Like you really look forward to crawling but as soon as they crawl, they'll climb the stupidest, dangerous, highest thing you have in your house for no apparent reason. Yeah. So good luck with that one. I hope Thanks, it's uh, uh, baby-proofed. Yeah. You, you guys are building, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, well, we're about to start anyway. So That's exciting. Down yeah. in Lismore. Uh, yeah, just outside of Lismore. In between sort of Lismore and Austerville is a place called McLean's Ridges, which is, yeah, so makers. And you're betraying us, leaving Queensland. I wouldn't say I'm betraying you. <laughs> I'm actually uh, creating a space for everybody to come to. <laughs> Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so we're going to uh, talk a little bit about your history, Max. So everyone gets to know you today, uh, and then we're going to lead into to dad as fuck and uh, talk about the project and the work that you do for your career and to help men and to help dads. Um, so let's get started. So I guess uh, going back to Lismore, you, as far as I know, you grew up in Lismore. Correct. What was that like? What is explain what is Lismore in a nutshell? I've been there for a soccer tournament once. It seemed like it was a lot of farms, but I don't know if that's just the part of Lismore I went to. Yeah, kind of. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit rural. Yeah, it's kind of uh, city, town cross city in a way. They, they call it Lismore City. You had a Maccas, so you know it's on the map if you had a Maccas. Yeah? Yeah, I think there's actually I think there's three now. It came in handy for the soccer tournament because it was either Maccas or Servo Pies, so well, it's, uh, it survived us. Decision. So did you always live in Lismore? Is that where you yep. grew up? Yep. Yeah, so I grew, grew up in Lismore. I was born in uh, Lismore Base Hospital, actually. And yeah, lived there until I was about 19. And um, family? Parents from there? They grew yeah, up there too? they're still there. Generational um, Lismore, Lismorian? Yeah, pretty much Lismore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Depending on if you're from there or not. So yeah, we... Um, Mum and dad are there. Their families both grew up there. And um, and my wife, Jackie, her parents are her old man's from the Northern Rivers or far north coast. Yeah. And her mum's from Sydney. So for us to build back down in that area was kind of it's pretty a little cool. bit twofold. It was get out of the city, have that sort of more raw and sort of real upbringing, yep. something that we were used to, and then slowly integrate back into the city. I don't ever think we'll we'll let go of Brisbane. I think Brisbane's a, a place that we've we've really fallen in love with, yep. and for all intents and purposes, we we wouldn't leave here. Yeah, but our values we can build into that property, and that's, that's something cool, that's really really important to us. So Jackie's from Lismore as well. Yeah. Wow. So when did you meet Jackie? I met her in. <laughs> About 14 years ago. I don't know what date it was. <laughs> but she uh, she worked in a restaurant that I was currently working in at the time. She had worked in that restaurant for, 
I don't know, two, three years, and she'd left to go overseas. She was a a lift in, a lifty in Salt Lake City. So in oh, the ski skis. Oh, didn't, yeah. didn't click straight away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's one of those so, elevators. Yeah, it's a really like, nice hotel. Well, I just wave so to you. Hello, sir. What floor? floor sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, cool. Yeah, so she, she worked in, um, in a ski field, and when she came back, I met her. I actually served her at, I remember, top of the stairs with one of her friends that she went to university with sort of had a bit of a chat. She ended up coming back to work for that comp- for that restaurant and, yeah, that was – it was kind of history after that. We kind of played it cool and and under under the table, so to speak. No one knew we were going out. Yep. And then um, it pretty obviously came out pretty, pretty quickly. We didn't, <laughs> yeah. we didn't find it all that well. But. It gets hard to keep it a secret. I know, right. Um, so, so back to school. So um, high school, you played a bit of sports, a bit of soccer. Yep. yep. Did that take you anywhere? Did soccer integrate in your life in any way or – Pretty much my whole life. <laughs> that was it. From about four years old. Well, it was probably probably younger than that. I remember as a as a really young kid, it was I'd wait for dad to get home. He'd come down the driveway in his Telstra van and you'd see him sort of crest over the top of the driveway and then pull into the driveway and then that was that was my time to shine because he'd grab the soccer ball out and I'd be yeah. two two years old and he'd just roll the ball to me. I'd never wear any shoes, and I was the kid that always had Band-Aids over the top of his big yeah. toes because just I'd knock the top off him. Too many toe pokes. Oh, man, all the time. <laughs> Graze it across the across So the this was like your dad's retirement investment. He was like, if I get him playing young. See, I don't know what I, it was. I, I can hang the boots was, up. I think that was just his way, like most guys. It's bonding. Rough and, yeah, it's rough yeah. and tumble sort of stuff. It was That was his way to, to – um, to connect with me because yeah. he didn't get a, an opportunity and he got a, he got a great deal of joy out of it. Um, whereas mum, on the other hand, like typically back then, most women had that role in the house. My mum worked as well. She was a nurse, but she had that role. Whereas, especially when I got into school, school kind of took a back seat. I had to do the schoolwork so I could get to the soccer. Yeah. yeah. So I would hate sitting there doing the work with mum, all in aid, like kick and scream and just, I'd fucking hate it to get outside and kick the ball with dad. And my my life literally up until I was 29, that was my sort of operating mentality. You got, you got shoes before you were 29 though. I did get, <laughs> shoes. I did get some shoes. I got some shoes and I got several pairs. But that was kind of like football was it Yeah, yeah. from a very, very young age. And it almost wasn't too because when I was six years old, I started playing like yeah. I might have been five. This is when we, we played the, the under sixes and we all chased the same ball all at the same Correct. time up and down the fields. Correct. It's a joyous occasion. Oh, it was, it was just this like little yeah. hive of like swarm of yeah. kids. And, 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 and there's and, one down the end there looking at you know, butterflies or yeah. dandelions. And the goalkeeper's like just looking at the post yeah. up the he's, roof. Or he's sitting on the floor with yeah. his legs crossed like picking the grass. It's also when you realise, because <laughs> I, I, I was a similar, I, did, I played soccer when I was young, not so much like my dad part, but like Saturday soccer, get dropped off, go play your games. And I remember you could always, from a young age, realize which parents were assholes trying to live through their kids and which ones weren't. Because we used to play and literally there was a dad every week who yelled from the sideline, you're not getting fucking pizza for dinner if you don't get a fucking goal. Six-year-old kid. (laughs) Six-year-old kid. There's like 14 goals in the game just because everyone runs back and forth like pinball. And this poor little kid is desperately just trying to get the ball. No one cares because no one else will listen to him because everyone else wants pizza. But uh, but it's it's definitely an interesting age. Um, Progressing from from your under sixes and onwards, did did it become competitive for you? Like, did yeah, very quickly, um, but in a, but in a healthy way. So I just loved playing, yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be playing for a club that didn't have 
a very strong juniors. So there was gaps between divisions. So I was playing under sevens or eights or nines or whatever. And then the next team up was under 11s or 12. Yep. So what tended to happen was is I actually had to play a couple of years older yep. than where I was. And that actually worked out really well for me because I actually grew in skill and sort of intent around football really quite quickly. So I started rep a year early and they back then they started at under 10s. Yep. So when I was only just turning nine, I was playing for that under 10s team, which was the lads all – couple of years above me and they I managed to make that team which was really quite inter- inter- interesting um, I remember playing under 10s rep in Glen Innes so where's that it's like you know Armadale yeah, sort of sort of it's like yeah. <laughs> mid mid north coast the only reason land. Armadale is because Barbara in grade like 11 went on a road trip with her family down there that's yeah. literally the only reason I, I honestly know. don't know what's down there like the only reason we went there was for football i never would have picked that place to go same with armadale the only other reason reason we ever went there was because there was a, a training camp yeah. or something on and i remember going to Glen Innes and there was i don't know 16 20 kids and all the parents and it was the coldest i'd ever been i remember playing one game there and I can't I remember the, the kid's last name was Bird. He played for Ballina. I remember him coming off the field crying. It was that cold. Like he was just – he was a little bit littler than everyone else, but he was just – he was freezing. And like can't blame the kid. Like we were all at that brink of just this is so fucking cold. Unreal. But, yeah, that was my first kind of proper representative style competitive sport, like yeah. introduction into it. And then from that point on – through to under 16s, which is the last juniors yep. rep, I played every year yep. to under 16s. And then it was sort of under 14s and 15s, I started to play reserve grade. Yep. So I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. It was just like I wanted to go and train. We were training eight times a week, training early in the mornings at six o'clock in the morning for development squads. And yep. then we'd go to training of an afternoon for juniors. And then after juniors, seniors would train. So we'd go and train with seniors. And we ended up getting, when I say we, myself and my little brother who was two years older than, uh, two years younger than me, he also took that same progression. Yep. And we ended up playing reserve grade at sort of 15, 16. And then we, you know, we got the bump up to Premier Division pretty early too, which was sort of around that 16, 17 mark. We were just hungry for it. We, we did, loved it. Did you ever consider this was a career? This is, yeah. Well, that, that, that was all I wanted to do. Yeah. That was it. I was just going to play football. And when did it not happen? Because obviously um, I'm not sitting in Barcelona watching you play right now, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, not, we're not doing this fire zone. Um, I, I started to realise, I think it was when I legally became an adult around that sort of yeah. 17, 18 bracket and drugs and alcohol came into play. right? Alcohol specifically, yep. um, but drugs to a point as well. Um, I got a few knockbacks when I was, was younger too. Like in that sort of between that 14 to 16 range, there was what they had. We had state titles, which was the rep stuff. Yep. So Lismore rep team. And Lismore rep teams in New South Wales are actually. I know, they like flogged us. Shit hot. I, I went down there for a futsal tournament and we got fucking pumped. Oh, dude, there was some, there was some serious was talent came the out of that worst. Area. Best worst tournament ever yeah. fucking played. We we went down. I got I got a notification five days before, and he's like, "Trent, you want to put a team together?" I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Regionals. You you rep region down in Lismore." I was like, 
All right, finished baking at nine o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning. We drove down. It's like a couple hour drive. Mm. Drove down. I've tried to nap in the car. We get down there. We're playing game on, game off. One of our players have to ref the game off, but they have to be certified. So it was one of our players was certified. It was fucked. Everyone had three to five reserves. We had two. And we were dominating first half of all the games. And then we we're just so fucked that would like get five goals on us the second game. Our last game was against Lismore. Who I don't know, I think it's a bit rigged, but they got two game break between every game. <laughs> so we came out to play this Lismore team and fuck me, we just got pummeled. We got two guys off with rolled ankles in the first like 15 minutes and they were just big fast boys. Yeah. So I can vouch that Lismore had a good football team. Yeah, so they're, they're, um, <laughs> we never went back down. I don't know what it was. That was, uh, <laughs> was something in the water. Pretty good stock down there. Um, yeah, we we took a, we took away probably. I think there was maybe two we didn't win as far as the state titles for regional went, and we came third. Yeah. So we kind of got knocked out in that that final round before we got to the grand final. But um, and same with the team above us and below us. There was this like the three divisions or years were. They were just quality, which then turned the local comp into just this awesome comp because the, all those kids then went into seniors. Um, mm-hmm. A few of them went up to Brisbane and Gold Coast and started to play what's now MPL. I can't remember what it was called before. Um, what was the question again? And when did you realise? Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> when I realised, yeah, it was around that 17, yeah, 17, 18 mark when – I I kind of started to acknowledge that I wasn't going to get where I was going to go. And like I was saying was I got knocked back between that 14 and 16. They used to do the um, the Northern New South Wales team. Yep. And it was that team that I attempted to get into on multiple occasions. And you'd get, you'd get picked to go and try out for it. Yep. And then once you got there to try out for it, and I remember one year specifically um, – didn't have a real big love of the guy who was picking the team as well. He was he was a bit of a twat. Yeah, um, I won't name names, but you can no. I don't have enough money for anyone to sue me, so it doesn't matter. The one thing you find out about any sport or anything of like that it's it's about opinion. Whoever's sitting in the seat, and everyone has their favourites. Yeah, well, they've all got their own style too. Yeah. So if you play a certain way and you don't fit into that style, then your yeah. opinion is is that you're not a fit. So. They continued to move the goalpost literally on me, which was at the start it was, you're not fit enough. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. So I went away that year and, and how they gauge fitness was the beep test. And I think I got like 7.7 that year. I went away for 12 months and that's all I worked on. Yeah, I just worked on the beep test. I came back the year after, 13.3 I got. Good one. I was just like, fuck you. And I was what? like, no, nah, it's still not good enough. I'm like, this can't. I think, it was the, I think the national standard for futsal, I don't know about soccer, was 12. Because we, we did it one – we wanted to see if we fit the standard. This is when we are playing regionals and we all got 12.5 and then said, fuck, I'm not doing it. Like tap out. Oh, my knees were gassed for like yeah. a week. It's just a mess. It was, it's, and, and, and it's like, stupid. Like, like <laughs> 12.5, 13.3, you don't get much fitter than that. No. And, and not to mention we're playing a, like a, a short twitch. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole game. It's like sprint from here to there. Yeah, and what kind of – you're not playing like under sixes anymore where you chase the ball up and down exactly. the field. Yeah. So, so with, with that sort of happening, getting into premiers, I think the the next real sort of milestone I had, I got picked for a, like a – they had a few senior regional teams. Yep. So whatever the local comp was, they then picked a, a team out of that and I made a couple of the, the final um, – or team of the year 
type things, then that team of the year then went and played different different things. I think that was about the the limit of where I got to for football. Um, outside of one time, I think um, just as Gold Coast United yep. got introduced into the A League, not even sure it was the A League then. Is this the, the first one before it got deleted and then it came back like five years later? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I can't really remember. I don't follow the A-League well enough. I just knew that Gold Coast United needed a team to play pre-season. Yep. And they were still kind of vetting their players. And we put one of our these small teams together with all those guys in it. Yep. This team was fucking dynamite. It was epic. Yep. We got towed 5-1. Yeah, yeah. However, <laughs> man, like I remember playing these guys and we fucking wouldn't give them an inch. Yeah. It's like you go out there and play – Local, like yeah. regional football, it's not. It's not what you see on TV. No, it's like cunts are going through you. Yeah, like it's you rough. got the ball. It's rough. Like yeah, yeah. that's that's my ball. Seventy thirty split. And you're on the thirty percent side. Yeah. It's like yeah, I love you. Yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. But they're not playing that game. No, they're playing like one touch, two touch sort of football. And we're like, well, we can't out Class. can't out play you. Yeah. <laughs> you're fitter than us. You're you're about to go into the the full. Season we just come off the back end of ours, so we've had end of season trips and all that sort of stuff. So you got to park the bus and be rough, kind of. Yeah. yeah, I think the only reason. That's the only way I play football. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got moved from up front to the backs, and that's when it got really interesting. Because like, well, we weren't scoring anything. Yeah, I got put into the back into the back line, and you just held onto old mate number nine shirt. That's the funnest. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. That was I think that was the last hurrah for me, more or less. In that that thing, went and played a bit in cans and. Won a, I think we won a treble and, and whatever up there. And that was like all good fun. But then it sort of really started to go downhill when I got to around that 29 years of age. And I realized that as much as I enjoyed football, I was falling out of love with it. Yeah. And I was a guy who said he'd never fall out of love with it. I play this game till, yeah. till forever. Yeah. Um, and considering going back now. Yeah. But not from an ego perspective. Go, from go a, play third div Baptist league because you don't have to do training. <laughs> Just uh, don't swear. And you have to um, pray at the start of the game. Okay. Just, I didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, <really>? I, <laughs> so I played first div and, and second div and, and like great guys, like real good fun. And I've rocked up and before I start playing any sport, if it's competitive, I'll shave my head. And um, not now, but back then before each game, I'll pop my uh, four neuro from plus and, and drink my couple of Jack Daniels for my knee pain. Don't encourage this. Don't do this now. Yeah, they don't don't prescribe that anymore. (laughs) And when you rock up for a um, Baptist League game and the guy you met had like long curly hair, which was me, no beard, and you rock up and you're shirtless with a shaved head and you're cracking a couple of JDs, it's just mind-blowing. So I think I I had half the tattoos. But uh, it's mind-blowing. One of the guys, I remember one of the guys walks up to me, he's like, because I tried to do it away from him because I thought they would be a bit conservative. It's 9.30 in the morning. And the guy walks up to me. He's like, is that alcohol? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, can I smell it? And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's alcohol. I'm like, yep. So I scum a drink. We go out in the field, do the shaking hands, check the boots, the pre-chat. And they're like, hold hands. And uh, who's going to lead prayer? And I'm like, what? And I was like, okay, this is fine. Like, this is just someone else's culture and experience. It's like, but I just did not expect it, which yep. is – it was a different game. You can't swear, <laughs> which I do frequently in football. Like people will get red – I never got red carded. I got plenty of warnings. Uh, sometimes the ref wouldn't talk to me. Um, I, I think I was their, their, their project 
human. But uh, you're right. You're it's right in the thick of it. Like good fun though, <laughs> because you don't have to go to training, which is just ideal if you play football. I reckon. Oh, perfect. So, yeah. so, but uh, yeah. It's I a, think it was like going, letting go of the ego though for for me to go and play again. Like yeah. I wanted to go and play, and I when I first moved to Brisbane, I was like, I'll, I'll go and jump into a team, and I got stuck into it and realized I was far less fit than I thought I was. It does happen. And I went. I'm just not willing to put the time, energy, and effort into that. But now I can remove the ego and I just go into it. And because I was thinking about when I moved back home, I was like, well, I should go and play premiers again. Like get fit and do that whole thing, but play because I want to play, not because I'm trying to prove a fucking point to anybody except yeah. for myself. Just enjoy it. Yeah. It's like at 30, so I'll be 37 by that Masters, stage. mate. Perfect. I had a game of Masters. It's fucked. <laughs> I played with a bunch of 50 year old guys. Really? And um, it was the same team, the team that under 12s team that Craig Foster played for. Yeah, I don't know who that so is, but I'll pretend I do. Craig Foster is the SBS football. Oh, okay, I'm just terrible with names. So he does all the um, the correspondence and everything for the World Cup. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he's that guy, and it was his junior team because they played for Ginola Bar, and my cousin, who also played for Ginola Bar, played in his team, and he got the whole team back together. And he goes, oh, dude, we need a bit of young blood. Come and play. I think I, I played the first game. I rolled my my ankle in the second game. Didn't play all the second day. And they're all looking at me going, you big suck. You're the fucking youngest man here. What's <laughs> yeah. going on? Turns out if you stop playing, the ligaments in your ankles give they, up. It's getting that, a bit weaker. Man, CrossFit's yeah. all straight lines. Yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no yeah. agility. You just got to do some sidestepping in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was not doing that. Anyway, so the, the hard grounds of Lismore were absolutely uh, destroyed. Oh, areas. nothing's worse than a hard field surface. It's terrible. It's, don't go and play. It's, on a, you got uh, you got your nice fresh tags and they don't go on the ground. They do not. <laughs> no, it's terrible. It's uh, shit uh, nightmares are made of. So, um, so, so football, high school, what happened um, high school? So I guess we're, we're going to try and progress to um, where your career is now. Um, you finished school. You busted tables by the sounds of it or served at a restaurant. Was that – that was after? Yeah, so I went from – so high school was kind of a bit of a farce for me. It was it was more of the same as, as what happened at the kitchen table when I was younger. I didn't realise that until I was about 31, 32 that how that played out when I was a kid had actually created my entire life's trajectory. Yep. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to actually go and revisit your past – to understand why you do what you do, don't pass that opportunity up because it makes life so much, one, more bearable, but two, far more productive as you move forward. So if you're just trying to get through day-to-day, go and figure out why you like that and it'll serve a massive purpose if you're open to it. And that's what I figured out was is that me at the kitchen table and then wanting to go and play soccer, it was my polar opposites. It was what I hated with what I loved. Yep. My whole life played out like that. So I shunned what I didn't like, which was learning. Yep which is really funny because all I did was play football and all I did was learn football. Yep. So I, it's just, it was just really different, different method, right? Yeah, I, it just had never been pitched like that. My parents weren't massive readers. They didn't. They wanted me to finish school. They wanted me to go to school and all that sort of thing. But it wasn't like a you've got to go to university and do this, that, and the other because my parents didn't really do that. Yeah. So high school was very much the same. I, I didn't finish high school. I didn't get my HSC. I went right the way through and actually – so HSC is what OP or yeah, I think it's something different much. again now for yeah, Queenslanders like to, to finish school. Yeah, it's yeah. your mark. It's yeah. your it's your judge your judgment number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't didn't get any of that. Didn't uh, didn't really have a a bit of paper at the end of it, so yep. to speak. But I did my did my time, so yep. to, so to speak. So after that, I 
immediately went into a cert three or four of hospitality yep. supervision or something at TAFE, did a year of that, and then the girlfriend, a girl I was with at the time, her parents opened a wine bar in Cairns yep. and they said, hey, listen, you've just done all this this work. We'll get you a, a job with someone we know in Bris- uh, in, in Ballina, yep. just in the interim while we're sorting this place out. You can get a little bit of experience and then you can come up and help us open this joint. So it's pretty much what I did. So it was was 19 years old at that stage and I left home and uh, moved moved to Cairns by myself. Essentially, my girlfriend eventually followed me up, hung out there for a few years, worked in hospitality, did wine bars. And they they weren't bars. They were like wine bars and restaurants and tapas bars. And they sort of, you know, we went right through the whole, you know, how to make good coffee, how to make good, um, cocktails and, yep. and understand wine and all that sort of thing. So it was kind of like the the more in-depth knowledge around it wasn't just, you know, burgers, was it, chips and shit. What was it like working for your uh, temporary in-laws, I guess? What was that uh, like? Well, that was actually one of the biggest learning experiences <laughs> I ever had. Because what it wasn't about them. Yep. It was about the person they employed to run the joint. And his name's... Damien Lyth, who's now one of my really, really good friends. Yep. Um, I'd never met this guy before. I'd never come across someone who was so, like, he was an animal when he came to how to run a, an establishment. He came from, like, the high M5 star in London. Yep. Like, that was his background. And he was a young guy. He would have been maybe late 30s. And... He was just like he was onto it. He would grill me every day. He didn't give me an inch, and I, I reported to him. So I didn't report to my in-laws. They just floated around and provided the. Yeah, well, they were just like, "Oh, yeah. look at us! We've got a fucking wine bar." They were yeah. posers essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and hey guys. lovely, lovely. <laughs> well, her, uh, my girlfriend's mother, <laughs> sold to the earth, loveliest person. Her partner, massive fuck with, right? And and. To this day, there's still not one person I know who would say anything other than that. If, if I meet him, I'd love to understand why they think that. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so I had this this mentor, so to speak, which is Damien Life, and he I remember vividly he asked me, my job was to clear the cool room out and make sure that the all the alcohol and everything was – because we only had a small cool room that, that facilitated the, the alcohol and the food, which I think at the time was a no-no. You couldn't have alcohol and food in the same cool room. Okay. But we did doesn't matter the place is shut down now, so it's not an issue no, anymore. No, non-problem. Yeah, it's, it, I wouldn't worry about it. But I had to clear that out, keep it as clean and tidy as possible, and we had to keep the stock up, make sure it was sorted. So anyway, you could have probably fit 30 cases of beer in there. And he calls me up, busted my ass all day. It was the hardest, hardest thing I've ever done as far as work goes. He had me do everything for long hours. There was no real set hours at all. Coming from a kid that, didn't really have a job like that before. Like I'd been working since I was probably 15. Yeah. But not like that. Yeah. No idea. And I was on my own, so I was a bit bit fragile. I get a phone call at the end of the end of the day. I just walked in and he goes, You fucking little cunt. <laughs> That's how he started the phone call. And I was just like, whoa. I'd never been called a cunt before, ever. Now I freely use it. It's great. Work. <laughs> I know. It just punctuates everything. Or it doesn't. And that's how he started the phone call. He goes, I told you to clear that out. That is your job. That is your responsibility. Clean that room out. And I was like, dude, I did. He goes, you can't have. I just pulled 40 empty boxes out. I'm like, fucking hold 40 boxes. Anyway, he pushed me to that point. I just went, fuck you, stick your job. 
like in the moment, I was just like, it was a heightened level of emotion. Told him to stick his job. Anyway, uh, I got a phone call. It might have been from my um, girlfriend's mother or her partner, one of the two. And it was the next day I went and had a sit down with with them. Yep. Because I thought I was, I was out. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do this. I'll go and find a job somewhere else. Yeah. So I went down and had a sit down with – it must have been him, but essentially what had happened was I wasn't telling him to stick his job. I was telling them to stick their job. Yeah. And I never thought about it like that. And yep. so that was the first little eye open. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll probably step over the line there. Yeah. And anyway – I learned a valuable lesson in that sometimes you're not going to agree with with what's going on because you've got one level of awareness and perception. Your worldview is what it is. I'm 19 years old. This guy's almost 40 and he's done this shit before. Yeah. How he's treating me wasn't personal. No. Yet it was nothing to do just with that. Just how he that. speaks. It was just – that was yeah. just who he was. And, and he goes, you're not always going to agree with people. Sometimes you're flat out going to disagree. But it doesn't mean – that you can just throw on the towel every time that happens. You don't like whether you agree or not is completely beside the point. And that's actually over the years has actually translated into a principle I live by now, which is don't listen for agreement, listen for insight. Yep. Right. So that's where that's developed. Anyway, I was given a lifeline because of who I was. Yep. So fortunately for me, I got my Sl- job back. Sleep, sleeping with the boss's kid. I know, right? Helps. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like literally the best thing that ever happened to me the, at that The point job or sleeping with the boss's kid. <laughs> Both of those things, it all worked out very well. Anyway, so I got my job back. It's like, you've got another chance if you want to get in because obviously the, the emotion had settled and I realized what I had said and done and it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. right. Then I go and have a conversation with Damien, sit down with him, and he goes, dude, I'll just give you this one, this one thing to start with. No one has ever spoken to me like that before and still had their job after it. And I was like, fair call. So you're very fucking lucky to still be here. And I was like, cool. I had this new level of respect for the place and where I was and that sort of thing. I was still feeling him out. I didn't Mm -hmm. really know where he stood and how that worked. But from that moment on, we became thick as thieves. I sat in and I listened to everything he told me. Like he would grill me like every morning he'd come in and I'd always make his coffee. And he fucking loved his coffee. So if I got it wrong, he'd tell me. But when it was right, he'd be like, Maxie, that's all right. And he goes, it's cold. And it's like, dude, it's been sitting there for 30 minutes. <laughs> so we, had, we built this yeah, we built this relationship on like a pretty solid foundation. It was rocky at the start, but it, it fortified super quickly. And eventually, long story short, he left that, that place and he went and got a job at a different place on the, on the Esplanade, still in Cairns. But as soon as he got that job, he called me up and said, hey, dude, I've got a job for you. You want to come and work for me? And he gave me the spot out the front with, which was like prime real estate, like high end seafood restaurant. Yeah. Like, man, we were doing 200, 300 covers a night. Yeah. Like it was just like two sittings. It was like absolutely, I'd never, I'd never worked in a place like this before, but he asked me to come and work for him there. We had a fucking blast. Awesome. And then he left that place eventually and he went to a, a five star joint in, in Palm Cove. Um, which is now called Nunu's if you ever get a chance to go down there. I think at that time it was called Anxana. And I think I lasted two weeks there because I, I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll come and work with you again. But that was too fine dining. Yeah. That just didn't suit my you, you personality. Can, you, you say, hey, can't, how are you going tonight? Yeah, it, did, really? yeah, <laughs> yeah. it didn't quite fly with the clientele. But it was, it was too fine dining. It was a little bit pretentious. Yep. It w- wasn't me. So I ended up going back to the place I just left. And he, he got – I sat down with him and said, dude, this – I really appreciate it, but 
and I'm not vibing joint whatsoever. Yeah. It's like, that's cool, man. So I moved out, but that was a lesson I learned in hospitality, which, which has served me really well. It, it, it had me consider that I don't need to jump in emotionally and try and agree with you. What I need to do is I need to understand where you're coming from. And what I didn't understand at that time was the years and years and years and years of experience on how he got the best out of his guys. Yeah. You watch the staff in there. You watch the chefs. People give chefs a, a hard time. And I know the culture is starting to change back a house a lot. Yeah, chefs now. are assholes. Well, they can be, but there's, there's reasoning behind it. Not to say they're right. It's, it's just discipline. The regiment, there's so much that they have to do that we don't understand. they're working dumb hours. Yeah. They're Nothing, six, six, hour. six with a split and then you come oh. back and do another six. Yeah. And they're just, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy shit. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really big, big eye opener for me. It, it had me really questioned before I said anything. And, and it wasn't just turned it straight on. It was a little bit slower to respond to stuff just to make sure I had picked up everything. Yeah. And over time that served me really well to the point now where another principle I live by is, is that the, the silence happens, the, the coaching or the, the insight happens in the silence. Silence is great. Oh, man, it's, it's super powerful. It's you super powerful. can take or, or give the power or the silence. Well, the silence is if I ask you a question – my tool is the silence to let you speak. Yeah. But your tool is also the silence to not have to respond straight away. Yeah. So you just sit there and you go, all right. Because the moment I ask you a question and I see you fade off into the background and kind of start to what looks like glaze over. You want to direct it. Yeah. What you're doing is you're going deep into whatever knowledge base you've got to consider that question. The moment I ask another question because I think – you haven't understood it because you haven't responded straight away, I bring you straight back to the surface. Yeah. You can't go deep. It's like the difference between scuba diving and snorkeling. Yeah. You fucking you every time you Takes interrupt time. someone, it's yeah. you're a snorkeler. It's like, yeah, you're gonna get to see some beautiful shit, but you're not gonna get to see it all. Yeah. I I found silence really good in uh sales. Yeah. Yeah. Just just shut up. Say say a bit and just yeah. shut up because it makes them so uncomfortable. And and you, you see it in the in the reverse. And I remember we were trying to do a coaching program like six months ago and this guy was pitching us but he wasn't answering my questions and he's like what do you guys think do you think this is blah 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 and we're like hang on a sec let's talk to chris and turn to chris and we just sit there and we just sit in silence and you can see him because we're not responding and he's getting a little uncomfortable and he's like what if i throw this in i was like well, i don't know if this is the coaching service for me now so but it's it's yeah. super it's super powerful just shut up sometimes yeah yeah, yeah, and I, I learned that the further along I went, because I, I eventually got into car sales further down the road. Of course you did. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Surprises, and was, zero. And, that's, <laughs> and that, um, that was the first time I, I learned what that silence was all about. It's like ask the question and then shut up. Yeah. And they, what they say is the first one to speak loses. Yeah. Right, yep. that, that was it. And there was some interesting shit that went on in, inside of that space. You could sit there for minutes at a time. But because you were so content to sit there. Yeah. People don't like discomfort. Oh, man. It was yeah. amazing how many people said yes after that minute silence. Yeah. It was like it was almost out of respect. Yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a good one. Like car sales, I would always found – because when I was buying cars for my business, basically I walk in with a price I want to buy. I'm not there to barter. And if yep. it's a price, if I can get less, I'm not going to barter for myself. I, I have a fixed price. That's what I want. But if it's for someone else, whoof. I'll go to the bone. I remember when for Barbara's X-Trail, like her first car that she purchased, um, like 
seven years ago or so and we went in and she only wanted to spend like 21 that was it and walked in got this extra took for drive it was like 24 and they're like cool cool i'm like can you do 23 and uh tank tow bar blah blah he was like oh comes back he's like oh yeah no, we can do 23 and i was like okay and he walks away to go get something signed and barbara turns to me she's like i don't want to spend that much it's like, okay, I jump on my phone quick and I look for a few other extra trails. And there's a few for like 2,500, 21. He comes back and I go, oh, can you do 22? And he's like, goes back. Comes back, he goes, I can't do 22,500. I was like, I look at Barbara. She's like, nods. And then I said, like, okay. So he goes and gets the approval, comes back. And before he comes back, Barbara's like, I really don't want to spend it. And he comes back and I go, you know what? Just don't worry about it. Have a good day. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he's like, what? And I said, like, yeah, no, no, it's just not our price range. We only want to spend 21,500. And he's like, but I put a tow bar and tank of petrol and mats and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, you'll sell it. You'll be fine. We'll, we'll see you later. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, hang on a sec. And he walked away, come back. He goes, all right, I can do it. And I was like, because I genuinely wasn't interested, he had nothing to negotiate it, nothing yeah. in his sleeve. And it's just super interesting, the power of conversation when you can just reflect or, or be silent. But yeah, yeah, big time. You're also messing with that guy's psyche. <laughs> like, depending on what time you walk into a dealership, like what time of the month you walk into a dealership. It's yeah. Like if it's the start of the month, you usually got nothing really to go with you. But you walk into the end of the month and you get a car salesman that or person who hasn't hit their quota Turn the yet. numbers, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad. But let's see, for me, I'm, I, I honestly am so laid back, I just don't fucking care. Yeah. But if I go with someone else. Like I will fight to the bone for a dollar if that's what they need. Where I'm just like, yeah, you can have an extra dollar. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> so we've gone hospo. We've got high school hospo, car salesman. Um, where, where are we next? So we we essentially, I guess, we're getting pretty close to it. But we met when you started working at um, IP in influencer projects. Yep. So influencer pro- project. Um, roughly, what did you do there? And then where did that take you to? Like where you are now? Well, the interesting thing is, is that the influencer project was that was kind of a that was a step along the path that only happened because once I hit that that point around twenty nine years old, yep. when I was sitting in that car yard after about two three years, and I just I I loved it, fallen out of love with it, and I'd started to regress. I'd stopped learning, and throughout my entire working life, I'd had the same response to all of my jobs. Like yep. every single one of them, I worked at it for a while, honeymoon period, you go up the mountain, you get to the top and then you kind of start to come back down it and then you'd swap jobs and then you go back through the same same progression. And it was, it was a two-week stay in Bali with a mate of mine for his 30th. We just went surfing for two weeks. Um, started yes. a in, um, on the east coast of Bali called Keramas. And it was literally on the beach and that was all they did. They actually had the ASP World Surfing Tour events there at this this place called, I think the break's called Keramas, this right-hand reef break. It's out of control. It's awesome. But I had two weeks out and I'd been thinking about this for so many years, about this whole, I'm, I keep making the same decision just in a different way, getting myself into the same position and – just, just not happy. There was this, there was this thing that nagged at me for years and years and years that there was more to me than this. And I think what fulfilled that at one point in time was football, because I was quite good and I was one of the guys in the team that you would turn to, or be a captain or 
you know, a, a goal scorer or, or, or whatever. And I was kind of the life of the party, the extrovert to the point. Um, not not clown-like, but just that was just my role. I'd always been that that leader in the team and that fulfilled me to a point. Yep. I had that sense of, of uh, significance, I Purposeful, yeah. yeah. I had no idea what it was. I just happened to just naturally do it. And it's it, it got to that point when I was 29 that I went, I'm just not fucking doing this anymore. I can't. I can't keep doing this. I need to completely change how I show up. And it was at that moment that I walked into my boss's office after I'd gotten back from Bali and I quit. Just just quit. I'd organise uh, another job with a friend of mine. He was in uh, tourism. Yep. In tour sales. Cairns, Great Barrier Reef. It, nice. was, it was a bit of a shoe-in. It's like, what else are you going to do? And the negotiation was... I work on one of his desks, but at the same time, I could also study. And what I was studying at the time, which was my way of, of doing something different, was I was learning how to write sales copy. So I was trying to become a copywriter. The reason I did that was is that before I'd left the car yard, I started to Google how do I make money online? How do I change my circumstance, which is essentially what I was trying to ask. How do I go and get my freedom of being able to make money how I want, when, when I want, do what I want with who I want, that whole chestnut. And that was a question I was trying to answer and I didn't know where to start. So I just was like, well, let's type some shit into Google and see what comes back because I'd never done anything like that before. The closest thing I'd ever done, I'd sit there and I'd fucking sift through news yep. outlets and just watch what was going on in the world, but I didn't even really care. Yep. I just read sports, things about sport. That was it for me. Like it was surfing or sport or maybe some car stuff because it was relevant. Yep. Outside of that, I wasn't learning to sell better. I thought everything I knew about sales was based on what I was taught at the car yard and that was pretty much me. So I made that decision, started to learn how to become a copywriter and then over the next two or three years, I I built relationships up in the tourism industry. There was a few wholesalers inside of that who seen what I'd done. I worked with these guys wrote copy for those guys and then I got a job as a in an ad agency writing copy for car yards. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like experience well used. Yeah, right. So it's a bit of a disjointed story to get to your question about the influencer project, but it's important because I didn't just get a job with the influencer project. Yeah. It came from like three, four years of me cutting my teeth on figuring out what the fuck I wanted to do. Before the influencer project even went, hey, dude, do you want to you want to come and hang Give out with us crack. and yeah. yeah, and work with us? So I didn't just walk into a job like that, and I'd spent probably a month in the states with you know uh, with a company called the American Writers and Artists Incorporated, which is a, a massive, well-renowned copywriting training course. Yeah, cool. And the the best of the best guys, like guys like Dan Kennedy and. Bob Bly and um, John Carlton, if you're in the know, these guys are like top of the tree. And inside of that, I remember having a conversation in a break between sessions. You'd have these t- speakers come up, they talk about a different piece of copywriting or whatever in this massive big room. And and in between sessions, I was on my way to the toilet. I ran into a guy by the name of Ed uh, Gardenia, I think his name is, and I knew him from all the copywriting research I'd been doing and I sort of 
pulled him aside and said, hey, Ed, man, awesome to meet you. I follow your stuff. And like these are guys that are kind of idols. It's like you yeah. follow their blogs and you read their books and it's like th- these guys are in the same room as you because they, they all add to this American writers because they can pull from the copywriters that come in there. And I asked him, I was like, dude, I'm really struggling to find a niche and who I want to write for. And I was like, I've got two. I've got tourism and I've got car sales. And he goes, go car sales. That's pretty much all he said. So I changed my LinkedIn headline, which is the funniest bit. I, that's it. I changed my LinkedIn headline and it read something along the lines of uh, copywriter for the car industry or something like that. It was like maybe three weeks later, I get a phone call from a guy who's an who ran a, a media company in Cairns and he was also affiliated with this other ad agency and they go, we need a copywriter who knows the car industry. It's like, get the fuck out. <laughs> really? Uh-huh. I was like, went and had a coffee with him and he, he popped me into this job and it was like nine months later I'd written 400 pieces of copy for radios, TV. I starred in a couple of TV ads myself that I'd written, oh. um, email marketing, brochures, all this stuff. Never written any of that shit before in my life. Didn't know what the fuck I was doing. But I, I guess it, you can self-qualify yourself because you worked in the car industry and now you're a copywriter, so therefore you could probably talk, the, talk the shit. Yeah, and I learned but, yeah. a lot of stuff like how to, how to structure a TV commercial because I had to write the ad and then I also had to put the pictures to it oh. and also like what the voice was going to be. So how I wrote it, what voice did I have in my head and how it was going to be delivered. The hardest bit was is that they suck all the creativity out of it because you see car ads and it's like, sale, sale, yeah. sale, Mr. Blowy's in the fucking car park and that's how they do car ads. It's like, oh, but if you've got a sale on all the time, what's your point of difference? Yeah. Yeah, that was not a conversation they wanted to have. So I butted heads with those guys massively um, to the point where it was actually the first time I'd ever gone to see uh, a, a counsellor or a psychiatrist. I don't even know. Whatever that one psychologist yep. might have been, um, which was a, I went to my GP, got a referral, and you get twelve free sessions because I couldn't talk to Jackie about it. She didn't know anything about this, and my head was just swimming because I couldn't get my ideas through to these guys, and I needed to talk to someone about it. Nobody knew what I was up to because my friend circle was very limited. Yeah, it was a bunch of people who enabled me to smoke pot, which is what I was doing throughout my between nineteen and twenty nine, and drink alcohol, and that was that was my core group of people. So yeah. when you try and break out of that. And then go and have a conversation about business and writing and and bettering yourself and all this sort of Get shit. And that's looks. not what they're up yeah, to. It's yeah. this fucking collision of worlds. It was it was yeah, worlds colliding. So it was it was a weird space to be in. So I had the the wherewithal to be able to say, hey, I need help. Jackie might have suggested it, and we went to a, a GP who was a friend of ours, and he gave me a referral, yeah. which was really great because that helped me decompress and then. I decompressed and then what happened was I appreciated what was happening at the ad agency quite a bit more. But then another ad agency hit me up. So now I was working for two. And as that started to transpire, in came the Influencer Project and how that came about was a mate of mine, Rana Saini, I went to school with him. We used to work at Video Easy together when we were like 16. Good old video. For anyone under the age of 30, that's a shop we used to go to. Uh, to watch our movies on uh, and you pay about seven to nine dollars for the new ones for one night and uh, five bucks for a weekly and if you got it back late they sting you the same price and you get about two hundred dollars worth of overdue fees and they don't let you hire more movies yeah 
which totally. And then they blacklist you. Yeah, and then what what they do is they go bankrupt and they try to recall their debt, and you just tell them to fuck off. So yeah. that's a story. The video store industry. Yeah. Another way to put it, it's like a retail <laughs> shop for Netflix. Yeah, which uh, funny enough is they they turn down Netflix. Fucking yeah. idiots. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's where I met Rana. But what one of Rana's assets was, and this is something that I had been doing unconsciously, which was building relationships. Rana's taken it to a new level and it wasn't until maybe a year or two later I realised what he was doing, which was he was cultivating relationships consistently because he never knew when he was going to need help with something. Yep. So he selectively picked people that were obviously showing some sort of sign of, hey, you'd be a good Spark. fit in this part. Yeah. yeah, like investments. Yeah. yeah. And with everything I was talking about, with a few things I posted on Facebook and, and all that sort of thing, I hit his radar. So we just have a chat every three to six months. Yeah. And that went on for maybe a year and year and a bit. Yeah. And I remember one conversation I had with him and I jumped off the phone. I was watching a shit ton of Gary V at the time and he was talking about self-awareness. Yeah. And the moment I got off the phone, I had this idea about self-awareness and I sent Rana a message and I said, Hey dude, and I've been thinking a lot about self-awareness and in particular, what I was thinking about was when I talk to you about copywriting and business and all that sort of thing and we have these discussions, do you think what I'm talking about is just absolute dribble or do I make sense and, and it's helpful and, and is it it's adding, yeah, yeah. Is it adding value to the conversation? He goes, dude, that's a big question. Let's jump on another call. So we did. A little bit later, had a conversation and he just kind of hit me with it. He goes, dude, what do you want to do? So what do you mean? He goes, well, do you mind if I'm like really honest with you? And because if, if you ever meet Rana, he's never not honest with you, but he it just prep, it point. just preps you for it. Yeah, he <laughs> was, was at that point of the relationship. He didn't want to sort of bust it up if I wasn't ready for it. So he goes, dude, I I think what you do is great. I, I don't know much about your copywriting skill and all that sort of thing, um, but to be honest with you, I don't think you're a copywriter. He goes, let me qualify that. I don't think you're a shit copywriter. I just don't think you are a copywriter. Yeah, it's not your space yeah. to be in. Yeah, yeah, it's like I think of copywriters in the back room doing all the all the heavy lifting for the people who are supposed to be at the front doing all the work, like the face of the company. Yeah. I see you as the face, not the guy at the back. It's like you're not the guy who locks himself in a room. You're supposed to be around people, yeah. right? I can pay any fucking Muppet to come and write some copy for me. And I write copy. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. I'm running a business that needs it. AIs do it now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, and the moment he said that, I didn't know that was the thing I needed to hear because I felt through that two or three years I'd spent, I reckon if I hadn't have spent 30, 40 grand on trying to be a really good copywriter, and that sounds crazy to a lot of people, especially in that space because you can learn most of it on YouTube and all that sort of thing, yeah. pick up a book here or there. But if you want to play at the high end, you want to learn quickly – Good Fuck invest, man. yeah. Spent a month in, in America. Like, I was in. I'll Like, this is the fucking thing I'm going to do. If I'm going to change the way my life plays out. All Steve. It started with reading one book, which cost me 20 bucks, which then led to, at the, the pinnacle of it, was uh, a 12K investment. Is this the ones where they used to send you out the DVDs? You get like a you get no, like a thing, no. and you get like a a, a twelve DVD yeah. pack that 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 <laughs> that you you have to go through as like the live coaching. No, this was legit online course stuff. So this was like um, they called it Circle of Success. So you had like what 
everyone's doing now on Zoom. They were doing that back then. That was, I don't know, five, six years ago, that was kind of what that was. But a lot of the copywriters, like your Dan Kennedy types, would do a lot of that, you know, hard copy CD. They were even – Because it looks epic. Yeah, cassettes (laughs) and shit. Um, But he said that to me and I felt like the weight of the world got lifted off my shoulders because I was pushing this thing so hard. And, yeah, I was making a bit of money. I was was full-time doing it, like running my own little freelancing. I had no fucking idea how business – ran yeah i just knew what i knew in the way of how to speak to people using words with my limited amount of experience which wasn't that much in the greatest scheme of things all self-taught never fucking passed english like i wouldn't pass english don't be hard on yourself it's fine (laughs) but this is my point is that you go from high school not writing a fucking a letter to a friend or anything and that's your job and now people are coming to me to ask them to write shit for them i'm like how the hell does that work? And I asked uh, the guy who gave me the job at the car yard, who happened to be my best mate when we were little kids, still is my best mate. And I said, man, do you ever think I'd, I'd be the guy someone would come and ask to write copy? He goes, dude, you used to write the worst fucking emails to me in the world. Like, he is like, what? Anyway, so th- that, all, that all played out. Rana said this thing to me and the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders to the point where I went, that was the thing I needed to hear, but didn't know I needed to hear it. Yeah. Didn't, had no idea that that was it. And the weight that lifted off was me trying to force something that almost that I wasn't. Could have been easily discounted as it was really hard and I didn't want the thing to be hard anymore. Yeah. But it was just me recognizing through someone else's vision and value that they saw. One, I had value. Two, what you'd done up to this point was actually really good. Three, letting go of the ego and, you know, well, Everything you've done and spent and everything has led to this point for you to be able to make this decision. And what Runner asked me was, dude, he, here's, the, here's the crack. I need someone to come and work for us. It's not a solid job yet, as in we haven't solidified that we absolutely are going to hire someone. However, what I want you to do is I want you to ask, I want you to write me a, write me a note, write me an email or whatever and answer three questions. It's like, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? And how much do you want to make? Yeah was pretty much the questions. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. I hate the how much you want to make question because I'm like, yeah. is this going to shoot me in the foot or should I be like yeah. shoot? Yeah, <laughs> I, I had the same thought. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I jumped off the phone. I was about to write the email immediately and I was like, hang on a second. You're a copywriter. Can't just write three dot points and send it back. <laughs> so I fucking opened a Google Doc and I wrote a three-page letter to him. Yeah. And I still got it somewhere. He probably still has it. Um, anyway, so I sent the letter off and he gives me a phone call back. He's like, dude, when can you come down for a meeting? And oh, so you're in Cairns at this point. Yeah, so I was yeah, still yeah. in Cairns. So he goes, when can you come down for a meeting? And I was like, well, I'll, I'll have a chat to, to Jackie and I'll figure something out. And we did. Flew down in the morning, down to Brisbane, had, um, had lunch with him and Andrew, his business partner. And flew back that afternoon. And the first thing Andrew said, I'd never met Andrew. I'd never met Andrew. The only thing I knew about Andrew at that point was everything I'd seen them post online because they were doing their influencer project stuff. And years before I'd got into copywriting and that part of my life sort of opened up, I'd unfriended Rana because I didn't like all the business shit he was talking about. I'd literally, I cut him out wasn't until I got the job with these guys that I, I told him that. I remember having a coffee down the road and I was like, hey, did you know I fucking unfriended you at one point because all the dribble you used to post online and now I'm the guy who's posting all the dribble. Yep. So there's probably a bunch of cunts out there thinking the same thing about me. I'm like, kudos, man, but you'll 
either come around or you won't. Yeah. I don't yep. care. Neither did he, and I didn't get any of that at that point. But anyway, so we're sitting there at lunch on the roof um, at 747 Ann Street in, in Brisbane in the Valley. Yeah, the rooftop. Yeah. 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 Um, and Andrew goes, he's like, dude, just want to say that's the best fucking resume I've ever seen. And he he used to run 120 BAQ franchisees yeah. in their sales, uh, sales coach. So, like, he'd been around. He'd seen some shit. And I was like, yeah, right. And I was like, it was at that moment I didn't realise that was a resume. I just poured my heart out and told the truth. That was it. I was just like, I was I was done with being a way in which I was trying to put my best foot forward because that's what I thought you wanted. Yep. I wrote down on that page, on those three pages, what I wanted, why I was doing it, why I'd changed my, my tune. Which is different, right? Fucking oath. Yeah. And that's what came through. And I was like, it was probably the most real piece of copy I'd ever written was that. And it served me well because they, they brought me in. But to bring me in and go and work for those guys. I remember you had to do 100 lives, a, like a live a day for like 100 days or something. Oh, that was, I did it off my own back. <laughs> I made that I re- shit up. I remember I was like, oh, is he going to get hit by a car today? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually 180 I got to. But, uh, yeah, so I, I flew down from, from Cairns. I moved, moved into a place down here. Uh, my partner, Jackie, who's now my wife, she was doing a PhD at the time. We had our house. We just bought another house and the block next door to that and we were building and running an Airbnb. She was doing a PhD and she was lecturing at the same time. Sort of sat down and said, hey, get this opportunity. What do you reckon? She goes, well, you've come this far. So green light on her side. I wasn't going to go down there without without her blessing because I yep. didn't want to leave that because we had so much shit already happening. And it wasn't like I wasn't looking for a job because if he, he said to me, in the phone call when he said, hey, dude, we want you to come and work for us. He said, dude, sorry, man. Like I said, um, you know, we need some – we don't we don't have a job for you starting in January. It's just – it's not going to work. But if you can be down here in two weeks, you've got one. I was like, fuck. <laughs> it's like I had two and a half months. And then time. silence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went and had the chat and we just kind of made it happen and it was four years of me fucking figuring out how to – how to, like I wasn't I wasn't there to copyright. That yep. wasn't why he had me. I was actually there for customer retention, working with clients. They soon realised that they didn't need that. It was yep. actually less productive to have those phone calls because nothing was going wrong. And every time you rang up, they found a reason to have a conversation with you about something that might be a little bit of a problem. So it was that thread they pull. Yep. Didn't need pulling. Yep. Just was ignored. And if they had it, just kept going the way. So we realised that that wasn't even a thing. So I bounced around for four years to every seat of that bus yep. and knew the, knew the infrastructure of that business intimately to the point where I actually helped them create the model that they run now, which is the, the done with you coaching methodology. Yeah, yeah, They didn't have a coach. I didn't know what a coach was. And it was that having gone through sales and actually been really terrible at selling a, a not a physical product that you could see, touch and smell and yeah. feel and all that sort of stuff. I was really poor at it because my MO was to help people. Yep. And yes, a salesperson can help them, but not in the way you, the way I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people right then and there. Yep. The only way, and this is something that Andrew drummed into me pretty hard, being the hard-edged sales guy is, was the only way to help someone is to get them in the fucking door. Yeah, you got to pull them through. If you give them all the information before they get in the door, they'll go, oh, thanks very much. I'll just go and do that myself. Yeah. Because they think they can. And they don't. And they don't want to be sold. They don't fucking ever. No, they're hopeless. Well, they'll go and find someone else. Yeah. Right? So 
I got I got punted from the the sales team pretty quickly. The other thing was as well is that they also realised they didn't have a system to sell. They just had Andrew, who was passionate enough about it, knew it back to front and had a lot of relationships. So it was going to take me a long time to get there. Um, so a few things had to be figured out there. Um, long story short, they went well, dude. You you want to help people? You've sort of helped us create this model of coaching. There you go. You can work with our clients. And he called me onto a webinar that he couldn't do one day. I think it was one that he ran weekly for our clients. And uh, that was that was where me becoming a coach became a thing. So this is the spark for the data's fuck. Pretty much, yeah. That was that was where it started. So initially, the the data's fuck wasn't the the beta, was it? There was you, you had you had initial direction first, and then it pivoted. What was the first one you did? Well, that started while I was at the Influencer Project because I was working with a uh, working. I was going to a men's group called the Man That Can Project. Yeah, um, good mate of mine, Lockie Stewart. Yeah, it's great. And one. and he. He and I hit it off. We, we met each other at the gym. He ran these free men's circles. And I used to go to these things because, one, it was a good outlet. Two, it was a way for me to be able to share some stuff that I learned and actually put it into practice and just kind of help people. Yep. And that's all I saw it as. I was doing it for free because I enjoyed it. And and I got a lot out of it. I got a lot of good perspective around guys and what they were going through or just people and what they were going through and realised that, you know, the, the little inadequacies or little things that I thought were – could have been better in my life kind of started to, to dissipate a bit because I realised it's it's actually really good. It's not, not a thing to look at. It's bad. Yep. Um, and he actually gave me my start based on how I showed up. We used to talk a lot. He got me on one of his podcasts and then eventually he sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, dude, I'm running a, a foundations course, two-day event. It's like, would you help me come and facilitate it? Because That's pretty cool. So, yeah, he, he gave me a call up. I did that for for free, he sort of put a bit of food and stuff on, but and I was quite happy to do that. He had twenty guys in a room, and we just kind of floated around the edges and jumped in and helped these guys out and, and said what we needed to say. And that was the first time it really sparked me. I'm like, yeah, right. Because one thing happened to me, happens to me in copywriting and business growth with the influencer project. And anyone who's trying to force a point in one area of their lives is that. The first thing I see is that that one, if you look at your life like a a bicycle wheel, that one area of your life is one spoke of that wheel, Yep. right? And you've got 5, 10, 15, 20 others depending on what it is. Let's not use the analogy to the point where if you've only got five spokes on a wheel, it won't fucking work, all right? You'll lose yourself in that if you do. Is that that one spoke is just one thing. The actual thing that you need to be think, thinking about or, or focusing on is the hub of the wheel, yep. where those spokes attach to. And in copywriting, I would do the same thing. It was just I just naturally got drawn to it. They go, "Can you write this thing for me?" I'm like, "I'm happy to write that thing for you." What do you want it for? What do you want it to do? And nine times out of ten, they had no fucking idea what they wanted to do. We just want people to see it. See what? What do you, what do you, <laughs> what do you want them to see? And what do you want them to do when they see it? Nothing, just write the thing. And that was that was my conflict with a lot of my copywriting stuff. Is like I couldn't I wasn't working with people that were thinking at a level like of just cause. Yeah. It's like because they're our client, that's what they asked us to do. Did they? Really? They asked you to just write that so people could read it and have no impact at all. So they've got no idea where their, their marketing dollars are going and, and what the effectiveness of them are or is. And 
That happened in copywriting. That then happened in coaching. At the start, it was just learn how to be a good coach, learn how to help people, learn how to help them get a result. But then I started to see the undercurrent of why do you want this result? What do you think your business is going to do once you get that thing? Because everyone's playing to get the thing and once they get the thing. What's next? Well, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. There's my joy. It's in that thing. I was like, no, it's not. Yeah, It's actually inside of you now, right now, here, if you can see it. But you're not looking because you're worried about that. Yeah. yeah. You, you're worried about the, the outcome of your business, of this next meeting, of that sales call. It's like, why can't you be happy now? Not give a fuck about the outcome. Oh, I need the house. I need the car. I need to show everyone like what I have. Yeah. It's like that I am good, that I am of value. And it's like your values are in the wrong place. You've got to flip the script on it and go, stop worrying about what everyone else wants for you. Start worrying about what you want for you. Yeah. Right. Then the right people will show up. And people come and go. So you please one group, they could be gone next year. Yeah. And then you got to fucking buy a different car, get a different house, wear a different suit because you're trying to please the next group of people. That's it. Just wear a tight-owed shirt and a ponytail like me. Who fucking cares? <laughs> or I wear the same black yeah. shirt and the same yeah. tan pants every fucking day. Yeah, that's it. I don't care. Yeah. I wear, so, what was it, the rompers? I wear on Friday. People fucking laugh and they're like- oh, they're, they're brilliant. Like, I'm like, mate, it makes you happy. And they're like baffled by that response. They just look at you with this blank look like, oh, I go, you got, I've got spares. I've got like fucking 16 of them. I go, do you want to borrow one? <laughs> no. Real defensive, walk off real fast. I'm like, mate, you guys worry about- the wrong things, like you yeah. say, it's 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 the epitome of society. Like yeah. everyone's doing it; they're not even conscious of it, and it's hard to break. Yeah. I find it hard to break. I know about it, yeah. and I can see it. There's still, you still get pulled in. Yeah. You still, you play a game of soccer. You want to get a fancy goal, not because you want the fancy goal. You want everyone to say, "Fuck yeah, look at that fancy goal." Yeah, we're all guilty of it. Oh, fancy goal. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting a goal. <laughs> yeah, man, no one gives a shit. So, so that's that's where my influencer project journey started to dovetail from what we were doing. I started to see a lot of people who who, who liked their businesses, and and I think they really wanted them to work. But I'm not. I wasn't entirely convinced that they were there for the right reasons. Yep. Not saying that they should have stopped their business. They just needed to tap into why they were doing it a little bit more firmly. So really set that foundation. Really start from a place of strength, not like make your your hub on your bicycle wheel out of paper. Yeah. Because that shit ain't gonna work. You might get five, ten minutes down the road, but shit's gonna fall. And the spokes off. could be strong, but the same matter. same problem, right? It doesn't matter because then your relationship suffers. You, you don't get to spend as much time with your kids. You don't get to – your health starts to deteriorate. It's like when was the last time you had a fucking piece of lettuce? Yep. It's, it's <laughs> just like when was the last time you went for a walk, let alone yep. a run? Yep. You know, what are you prioritizing here? It's like because you're going to get there, you're going to get to the end. And it's not going to mean anything because the body you fucking showed up in is just – it's fucking got stage four cancer. Yeah, well, I think there's a really good story. Like when I walk – because I get bored, I listen to audiobooks. It gets me through my walks. Yeah. And uh, one of them, a guy talks about, he goes, he's talking about a guy that um, goes on a fishing trip over Thailand sort of thing and he's a millionaire and he's got all these businesses and one day he goes out on the fishing boat with this local islander dude and this guy goes out and catches six fish a day, goes to market, sells five fish, keeps one. That's all he does every day. And this big businessman, this big American, it's like, mate, why don't you employ five other fishermen? and get five more boats and you take two fish from each fisherman and 
you can make a fortune. He's like, why? He goes, because then you can franchise it. Then you can make a big business. And he's like, why? He goes, because then you'll make a heap of money and you can go on holidays. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, I am 50 and I earn millions of dollars and every year I come for two weeks and holiday in Thailand. And he goes, so you want me to build a big business to make lots of money so I can come and pay for the life I get to live every day on an island? And the big businessman just stops and stares for a moment. He goes, huh, because this guy's life is literally stress-free, risk-free, debt-free. He wakes up, catches six fish, keeps one for himself, sells enough to make a living, works like fucking four hours and lives on a fucking island that millionaires pay and work their ass off to come live on. It's like you said, it's like the why and, and where you're going or you can just be content with happiness and content with the business you have for the reason. Lifestyle's fundamentally it. We overcomplicate it. Yeah. That's, that's, that has been the biggest realisation for me and the guys that I work with is that we overcomplicate it. Like I was working with a guy the other day and he he's in, a, he's in quite a good job. He, he enjoys his job. And he wants to level up where he's at at the moment, so sort of climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. That's what he wants to do. I'm like, cool. To help him do that, he also has a volunteer job with a uh, – it's essentially a semi-pro football team. Yeah, yeah. And he runs their accounts and does all this stuff, but he does it for free. And I said, why are you doing that? And he goes, well, the managerial experience is – experience looks good on my resume. And I was like, okay, so then once you get that experience, you can add it to your resume and then you can apply for a job and, and climb the ladder, right? He's like, yeah. I'll say, okay, cool. Now, his biggest issue is he's got no time. He doesn't have any time to – barely enough time to look after himself, spend with his wife, he's about to have a kid, all this stuff, and he finds himself spread so thin, has zero – Zero capacity. He feels really unorganized. Like there's so many things for him to do. And my thing when I start working with anyone is to essentially audit their life and figure out where they're spending their time. Life accountant. More or less because without time, you can't do anything else. Yep. It's not about doing more. It's about doing less, right, so that you can actually slow down and see it. Unlike what uh, – is it Dale Kerrigan in the castle says? It's like the faster you go, the more you see. Yeah. It's like, oh, see that? What? Oh, back there? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't Great quite, fucking movie. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't quite. Well, you, no podcast is uh, a podcast without referencing the castle, yeah, surely. Paul Room's got to come up yeah. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so his life's moving super quickly and I was like, man, like we've been working together for like a month or two. I was like, until you're ready to let go of some shit, Nothing's going to change. You've got to let go of some stuff because where are you going to fit that time in for, you, for your kid, for your wife? Yep. The things that are most important to you. So like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so we're having this conversation. It was a group call. And I said, hey, dude, tell me again about why you're doing what you're doing, why everything is where it is and, and what's going on for you. So he tells me the same story again. I want to do this, this extra stuff so I can add to my resume, managerial experience, climb the ladder. Like, great. We, we eventually worked out it was about him feeling significant and valued and uh, being the, the the linchpin of his family. He wanted to be the guy who yeah. provided. That was his whole MO. I was yeah. like, okay, cool. I was like, question, have you asked your boss for a raise? And he looked at me. He goes, oh, oh well, maybe 12 months ago, kind of. 
Okay. I said, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow, when you get to work, I want you to ask your boss, can you have a promotion? Or what would it take for me to get to this level? Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. It's like because you could be stuffing your resume full of shit you don't need. We could just get your promotion. <laughs> he comes back to me a week later and he says, I said, how did it go? And he's got this big smile on his face because I, I, he got onto the call and I was talking to the other guy who was on there a little bit earlier and he gets onto the call and as soon as he got on, he had this big smile on he's his face, which is a different yeah. demeanor than he usually brought. And I was, I was like, hey, Steve, what's going on? So I want to chat to you about that smile and I kept talking to the other guy. So we came back to him and I was like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, spoke to my boss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going to fast track me to get that job. Nice. I'm like, right? He comes back a week later and he goes, yeah, I got that job. Did he quit the football thing? No, he actually started doing it because he actually because he really enjoyed it. Yeah. He loved doing it because he got to interact with these guys on a different level. And they're a pretty handy team um, over in Europe. And And it was just like his whole life changed in that moment, realizing that he was doing it the hard way. Just like that guy in the story, it's like you don't know what your values are at an absolute core foundational level of who you are and it might sound airy-fairy and and fluffy and fucking bullshit and all that sort of stuff, but, man, how are you going at the moment? Like, really, how honestly, how the fuck are you going at the moment? Do you love coming home from work and your kids screaming at you? Do you love going to work? How do you feel about Mondays? It's like, are you living for Friday? Yeah. It's like, how many beers did you have this week? When was the last time you went for a run? It's like, are you a morning person or you're an evening person? It's like, when was the last time you had sex with your wife? Like, and you both enjoyed it. Yeah. Right? Well, it wasn't the, uh, the, the handout sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, get it over with. Isn't that what it's meant to be like? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it's, it's. You need to be honest with yourself. Like that that's the true essence of what we're all doing here is that we need to be honest with ourselves, but because we've spent 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however old we are, whoever old you are, not being that person because society has dictated that this is the way we live our lives, is that we go to school, we go to, high, uh, we go to uni, we get a job, we get married, all this sort of stuff. And you've heard that same speech over and over again that it doesn't have to be like that. And your version of what I'm talking about is your version. You get to make your version up. Now, if you're sitting there and you're happy and you can legitimately look yourself in the mirror, mirror and go, I fucking love my life. Yeah. And you've got gratitude for it and you're thankful for it every day and you love your family, and they love you, and it's all going fucking gravy, hats off to you, brother or sister, whoever the hell's listening to this right now. Mate, that is like – that gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because if you've got that, brilliant. Yep, 100%. So cool. But if you don't and you just say you do because you're trying to keep up with the bloke next door – and fucking good luck with that because you're going to get to 65 and you're going to be filled with regret. You're going to yeah. make some dumb decisions. You're going to cheat on somebody. You're going to fucking put yourself in a circumstance. It's like you talk about all the time with male suicide. That's what male suicide is. A 
bunch of guys who aren't being honest with themselves and a bunch of guys who don't feel like they can have a conversation because everyone else isn't being honest with themselves. Yep. So it's, one, they're not being honest with themselves and taking full responsibility. The second thing is, if they were, who the fuck are they going to talk to? Because the guy next to them is doing exactly the same thing. It just becomes a fake dick measuring contest. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're, all, <laughs> we're all walking around like we've got it all sorted. It's like the next time you ask your mate, hey, dude, what's going on, man? He's like, oh, it's going great. It's fine. Or they say it's fine. Yeah. Red flag. I always follow up with, is that fine? Hey, can I go up the boys for beers? Or is that actually fine? Yeah. Like, like if, which, which fine is it? Fine and nice are not words I like to use in here. No. <laughs> then, no. then no words. That's nice. What the fuck does nice mean? Yeah. yeah. And that, that sort of takes <coughs> you to the, the next part of that is, is that next time someone asks you, how are you doing? Answer them truthfully. Yeah. Brilliant. Man, I'm having a great fucking time. Man, life's good. But fuck, man, I've got some challenges at the moment. Shit's, shit's hard. Yeah. And, and then that's what I was saying, that, that check-in Tuesday is don't ask someone if you're not going to listen to their answer, though. Like people people say, hey, how you going? And you say anything, but yeah, good. And they're already walking before you finish the year yeah. fucking good. Like don't use it as a courtesy. If yeah. courtesy is a hello or good morning, don't ask how you're going and keep keep walking through. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge because – it's that it's Hi, game of life inbred into us. It's yeah, it's just pleasantries. Yeah. Right, no one actually gives a shit. Yeah. It's like which answer do you want? Do you want the real do you want the truthful version or do you yeah. want the fucking Do you have 45 the, minutes? Yeah. <laughs> so like, seriously cuz you got time I'll tell you cuz it could really use someone to talk to you right now. Oh shit. Yeah, right. It starts with you. You got to be honest. Yeah, 100%. And if you don't want to be honest, it's got it's got to start with you. It can't start with someone else cuz that's you not taking responsibility. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Someone's got to break it. Don't wait for someone else to do it because you end up just living a life based on someone else's plan for you, someone else's value structure for you. Geez, I really want to impress this person. And it's like what impresses them today could be different to what impresses them tomorrow, Yep. which is the same thing that happened to me in football. It's like you need to be fitter. I got fitter. Obviously, that wasn't it. Why didn't you tell me the whole fucking story then? Yeah. Right? Yeah. At 14, 15 years old, I didn't get that. Why don't you say, you don't like me, so I can just fuck off and go play football for fun. Exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like there's, a lot, there's a lot of easy – and that's the thing. It's the, it's, it's, I was talking to someone the other day. It wasn't coaching, but I sense a sense coaching. We're talking about their business and how to deal with their business partners that they don't want to have a relationship with anymore. And I'm like, I go after back and forth after a couple of days and you know them having multiple meetings and reviewing stuff and go, have you just said, hey, appreciate everything – I just don't want to work with you anymore. No, I can't say that. But but why? What's the worst thing's going to happen is they're going to either want to ask why you don't want to work with them anymore or they're going to say, hey, do you know what? That's okay. Me too. See you later. But people will do everything to avoid that honest, simple conversation because it's uncomfortable because we've grown up, like you said, not being honest and not having honest conversations. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, great. We both want to go eat a bullet, but we'd could have had the opportunity to talk about it, yeah. but we're both great. It's okay. Have a good day. Yeah, we just and and we're not the the more the deeper the relationship with someone, the less likely we are to be really open and honest with them. I always found that the hardest people to be really honest with were my partner, my best mates, my family. Because they know me as one version of something. And you're more leveraged. You feel like you, you leverage more weight. So therefore, what if they don't like me? Yeah. 
What if, what if what if they think I'm a coward? What if they think I'm stupid? All of that. Yeah. All of that. It's they they know you as this one person, and I I think relationships probably the biggest one. And this is where divorce rates get blown out massively is because we start a relationship not the way we're going to end it. Yep. We start a relationship in the honeymoon phase and we're the postcard version of ourselves. In Instagram. Yeah, it's like yeah. why would you show up in a fucking sloppy Joe with you know yeah. chip crumbs and messy hair and all that sort of yeah. stuff. It's like this is who I am on most days but for this date yeah. and for the first three Wine, months. Wine, dine, five-star yeah, hotels. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You can't keep that shit up. No, you, just, you don't, you don't, have, you don't have the job yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the epitome. <laughs> but that's that's the problem is that you're not even truthful at that point. And by the time you get to year two, three, four, that's when resentment comes in because you've got to keep this facade up of who you, yeah. the other person, you've made them believe that you are this person. Yeah, Max, you didn't tell me you play FIFA every Friday. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't played, I actually played FIFA for the first time in months the other uh, day. We used to play all the fucking time. Oh. Miss it. The next one we'll do FIFA. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's podcast. Got, got a PS5, so. Shut up. Yeah, Barbara got me for Christmas. Spoiled. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We'll we'll, we'll shut off line. line. Um, Jackie, we'll be. uh, (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, you have this postcard version of yourself. And it's that postcard version that eventually gets weathered and tattered and and water damaged and it just falls apart. Yeah. Because you can't hold up that end of the bargain forever. No. And. That's when you get into that comfortable bit. And that's when, you know, you start to put on a bit of weight, you know, you start to not really enjoy your job. You start to – these things creep into your life that you wish you had a set at the start. But now because you fortified this vision or this version of yourself in your relationship that you wanted the other person to believe and you weren't truthful about the things that you really wanted. Yep. Like, you know what? I actually really like this in the bedroom. Yep. Right? It's yeah. been the hardest thing for me. Oh, it's like, fuck. fuck, like, and trust me, we've we've been through some fucking shit in 14 years, a lot of shit in 14 years, and that was my biggest sticking point was my lack of honesty, not flat out lying. Yeah. I didn't realize what I was doing. Which, which is funny though, right, because it, sh- it should fundamentally be the easiest thing because it's the one thing that's only between, essentially, between those two parties, mm. but it's like the hardest thing to bring up. It's like, hey- so, I've got those handcuffs. This is, <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, do, you, do you think that we could uh, get them? Yeah. <laughs> like, but when, when reality is, it's like you're the only two people that exist in that concept of that conversation. And once again, what's the worst is going to be is, is a no. That, that is the absolute worst outcome. They're not going to leave you unless you're like that uh, actor that likes to eat his girlfriend's toes. I guess that's different, but... <laughs> or something no, else. Who, li- yeah. Literally, do you hear it? No. Uh, Arnie Hammer. He's like a, he got fired from a job. He's a literal cannibal. Oh, literally eat. Yeah, no, no, not not, not, not like, like suck, suck on the toes, which is gross in <laughs> itself, but but literally eat. <laughs> Google later. Wow. I digress. <laughs> that's a, that's a short fetish if you're only with one person. Right? You just just get toe toes. transplants. <laughs> Yeah, so that that in and of itself starts to – that deteriorates because you're so afraid of what would happen if you said anything. Yep. It's like you said, it's like what's the worst that could happen? But 
the worst thing can happen is divorce. Yeah, because you get resentful because they don't magically fucking guess. Not, be- <laughs> not because – yeah, well, so that resentment turns into you making a stupid decision. Yeah. Like, and I've got close mates of mine who have made some dumb decisions, which they then got found out on, all because they never had the conversation at the start. They went and looked for whatever it was that they were looking for somewhere else. Yeah. Because they were too fucking scared to have that conversation. And trust me, I've been there. And it was – in those moments, you realise that that that's that's what a relationship is. You need to be truthful. Cards on the table, and what I find more and more as I have bigger conversations is, is that when two people meet each other later on in life, they're far more inclined to be truthful with each other. You're less patience for it, right? Well, yeah, you're not fucking around. Now. The, <laughs> yeah. the clock's ticking. <laughs> But early on, you don't realise that. You no. haven't really cemented who you are as a person. You, you, just, want, who you, are. you just want that pie. You just yeah, want no. that. You just, I Everybody, just want to eat. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you don't realise who you are. And based on not realising who you are, you try and be someone you're not because that's what you think that other person wants. Yeah, all being there. Yeah. Right. And I probably still am to a lot of things that I can't consciously see. You probably have your things as well. I don't have all this shit figured out. I just know what I can see. Yeah. The things I can't see is why I surround myself with people who tell me the fucking truth when I can't see them. Yeah. Coaches, guys like Trent. So good. Right? It's like, dude, you've got fucking food on your face. <laughs> if you walk around with food on your face and you've come in contact with a whole bunch of people and they haven't told you, fuck those people. Yeah, right? Unless it's intentional. <laughs> Again, fuck, fuck those people. The people who tell you you've got food on your face, they're the ones that you want to hang out yeah, with. Yeah, because they want to be told. I would hate nothing more than walk around with a giant fucking booger hanging out of my nose. And that's that's probably the worst. Yeah, yeah. If you if you need that person in your life, come and see me. Hey, all right. That's I'll I'll tell you every day of the week. So um so the data's fuck mission. Tell me tell me about it. Sell it to me. To sell, man. No, no, sell it to me. I don't like, want to sell it. To you. <laughs> I'll tell you about it. What what the dad is fuck is about is exactly what we were just talking about a second ago. It was to help dads realize that it's okay to go after the thing you really want more than anything else in the world, and it's because that's what I did. I had to change who I was at the core foundational level which was essentially being more me than I'd ever been before. After I'd been in a relationship with my partner for maybe seven, eight years, she knew me as one person. But she was a big advocate for me to be that person, that person to step up. She was level-headed enough and had enough self-awareness that she could see that I was struggling and, and couldn't figure it out. She didn't know what it was either. I didn't know what it was. And it was before we had kids. But I made that change successfully in a way that I, I engaged her to help me with those certain things. And she was she's an academic. She gets that that learning process. And she tried to push me into that in her own way in a softly manner and stuck by me. The only reason I am where I am right now is because of her. Like I couldn't be more grateful for, for our relationship. We've been through some shit and she's the reason that we're still here. Now, if you go and make that change and it goes pear-shaped, another principle I live by is the difference between attachment and commitment. Yep. Right? Now, you could be attached to a relationship and your whole world 
can be encompassed by it. So if you do something and it goes pear-shaped, then you go down the drain. Yep. Right? Or you can be committed to the life you've always wanted to live and realise that your wife, partner, significant other, whoever it might be, your mates, your family, that when you make that change, if you decide that there's something there that's not quite right and you want to go and discover what it is, you make that change and they don't want to play ball and they don't get it. It's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Right? That's what I want to help dads with. That's awesome. To help them understand that it's okay to go back on everything that you've said over the years because you've realized something about yourself, which is not happy. Yeah. Not happy with what I've got right now. And that, that leaches into everything. It goes into your relationship with your kids. It's why they don't show up the way that you want them to show up and you get angry and frustrated. So it's why that you don't like to go to work on Mondays. It's why you're a little bit overweight. It's why you don't communicate with your wife and she's wearing the pants, so to speak. It's because she's had to step into a masculine role. Yep. Because you haven't stood up yep. and taken ownership over your world. Take yep. full responsibility over that. She You've feels been like she, about it and shit. Yep. She wants security. She wants certainty. And if you're not going to provide it, she'll become the person that makes sure that the kids are bathed, there's food in the fridge. The, the housework gets done. And the way that she'll do that is she'll nag you to do it because she wants you to step yeah. the fuck up. And, then, and that's the thing, that word nag, it's, it's interesting because we use it as, as in- Men say nag. We say nag, but what it is is I've asked you 16 fucking times and you're not listening. Yeah. And, and what it is is we're having a shit day, we're sad, we're not paying attention to all these things. You're like, oh, stop nagging me. So they're not nagging. They're just fed up with us being incompetent idiots. And I, I, what it is, is, is they don't trust that you've got their back, yeah. right? They want certainty and security, yeah. right? You have a look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs or Tony Robbins' six human needs, and you will find out pretty quickly based on what your wife or partner, whoever it is, continually talks to you about. What are the things that they keep bringing up time and time and time again? One thing that guys are fucking shit house at is understanding the language of how women speak. No. What they're saying to you yeah. isn't the challenge. Your socks on the floor isn't the fucking challenge. The fact that you haven't fixed that thing isn't their problem. Their problem is you said you were going to do something, you didn't do it. They yeah. can't rely on you, they don't trust you. Yeah. At a core level, whether they articulate it like that or not, all they know is, is that you're not a sure thing in their life. Yeah. So if you're not going to do that- What else aren't you doing? Exactly. That's what they're saying. And men take that as nagging. Fuck, man! I'll pick him up later. And then the funny thing on that is because people don't communicate properly, is the first thing that goes through Harry's head is that oh, Bob and Dave's wife don't nag him. He's always got pictures on Instagram getting beers because they don't fucking talk about what the things in their life that actually happen. Yeah, and if they don't understand that they're all being lazy. And all their wives are nagging. I'm using my fingers. I don't actually mean it, ladies. Yeah. Um, and, and there's there, there's that that misconnect. So yeah. the conversation never happens. Yeah, yeah. It's and again, like you said, it's like nagging is a thing that men. It's a term men use. Yeah. I only you ever don't. use it in an argument. Yeah. And it makes the argument worse. Yeah, because you're trying <laughs> you're trying to make you're trying to bring him down. It's like yeah. it's your problem. You're yeah. you're blaming yeah. your wife or their or your partner, depending on your on your the other person. Yeah, you're blaming it on them by saying that they're nagging. It's like have a look in the mirror. It's why it comes back to why all the time. It's that's the inner bit. It's the spokes on the wheel. 
is that your spoke in that relationship, that contrast, that com- the communication part is is weak. That's what it is. It's like the moment men can show up and start to understand what it is that their their women or partners or whatever want, that's when things start to get better. But that starts with you understanding what you want. Because if you don't understand what you want and if I ask you what you want, it's amazing what happens. I say, hey, Trent, what do you want? It's like, well, fuck, I don't want this and I don't want that. There'll be that deep, quiet conversation. It's like, it's like <laughs> 15 <laughs> minutes later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'll just give you some space on that one. Do you want me to come back? Yeah, see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Most of us don't understand. We've never sat in, what do you want? And then once you figure out what do you want, understanding why do you want it? Why is it important to you? If you don't understand the answer to those two questions, how are you going to help someone else with what they want or help or communicate to them? That's where frustration comes in into play. When you get frustrated, when you get emotional about a topic, sit back and have a look at why you're getting emotional or frustrated. Is it because you don't fully understand the scenario and the circumstance in which you're in? I know I get triggered by a few things in life, typically around understanding investing and financing, especially with you know building houses and, and how all that shit works when I'm surrounded by people who get it and they talk to me like I should, yep. I get frustrated. And you, right? feel, you feel like they're talking down to you a little bit. Well, I, f- I feel it's when you don't ask the question, you know, you ask dumb questions, right? Yep. So I need to ask dumb questions because I don't get it. Yep. And then they say it again in a slightly different way, reconfiguring the same words again. I'm like, man, I feel this fucking weird. Like I feel it in my chest now talking about it. Like I feel it in my chest. I just want to say – can you just fucking tell me in like plain English? It's like pretend I'm eight years old. If you can't explain it to an eight-year-old, then you don't, you don't understand know you, it yeah, yeah. well enough, right? Yeah. And I, sh- how many years of experience have you had? Okay, so you've been building houses for thirty years. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck a truss is. All right, what the fuck's a truss? And why is one there and one over there? How is that the same thing? What's an easement? Right, I'm like. I didn't know what these terms meant. And they talk to you like you fucking get it. And it frustrates me. That's just an example. But understand where you get frustrated. And when you get frustrated, it just means you don't have all the information. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to not have all the information. As as but don't the make question. it their problem. Yeah. Right? Ask a better question. Yeah. Ask a smarter question. Ask a dumb question. Yeah. But don't say nothing and then resent the person because they didn't explain it to you well enough. You didn't tell them that you didn't get it because yeah, when they like I didn't fucking understand why because I didn't fucking ask the question <laughs> exactly. about why they needed ordered seventeen more trusses because they twisted like exactly. Yeah. Like you bring them fucking three tomatoes on the vine like <laughs> that's not what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 my 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 goal is to help help dads do more of what matters to them most. That's cool, man. In a word, I appreciate in a, in that a phrase. Yeah, cool. So um, I guess getting to that one thirty mark, or just past it. Um, where is the uh, the dad as fuck goal? Like, what is like? You've told me like your purpose and what you want to do, but like, it, it, I I personally think that everything has a goal. Why it's not definitive, the finish point is encompass what the mission is directing to. So your goal for dads, simply put, would be to be more honest, to be more understanding of what they want. Yeah, to to be happy where they are. 
Yeah. Is that the things that we think we, we want, the things that society depicts as success is that's, that's an overarching generalization of what success is. It's subjective, it's like right? If I ask you the question, what's your version of success? Yep. Not many people could answer that question. That's where that deep inner work comes into play. It's like asking what and why. Yep. My goal is to help dads understand what their version of success is because I believe that majority of us are on a path that doesn't lead to the thing that we want the most. We're on just a fucking path because that's where we got plonked and we never considered, hey, well, hang on a second, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like or we get to 45 or 50 or whatever and realize it's not the thing that we wanted. Still so, spinning the wheel of the game yeah, of life. So when did you ask yourself what you wanted? Yep. Well, when you're 18, you let the 18-year-old version of was you a make that head. decision. Yeah. He was a fucking idiot. That guy didn't know what was going <laughs> yeah. on. He's like he knew how to buy a fucking ounce of weed. He had to smoke the shit out of it in four different fucking ways. It's a good uh, life planner for you. Oh, man, he's terrible. He's like most financial advisors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just with less weed. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's my goal for – that's my goal for dads. How many dads I want to help? I, just, I really don't give a shit. I just, and if you've got a question and you need an answer, man, it's got to start with you, like at the very core of it. That's it. Like I start all my guys in the same place. There's no other place because I, I can't trust that you know the answer to that question. If we start with your version of that, yeah, you don't need me in the first old place. Weed biting kid yeah, so I, I know what I want. Why are you here? It's like, cool. Well, if I ask you the same question five times about why you want that and you can't answer it and you get upset and angry, we're onto something. Yeah. Yeah. The more Trigger frustrated the you get. Yeah, yeah. The more frustrated you get about me asking you, why do you want that? Yeah. It's a good one. We are on the right track. Awesome. All right, Maxie. We'll wrap up there, mate. And Legend. Thank you for joining us. Me. Weird way to end, Trent. Oh, Fucking idiot. Us, they're, they're, they're out there. <laughs> well, there's my OnlyFans over there, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.